0: Values, and strong opinions the Mike Broomhead show KTAR news 92.3 FM and the KTAR news app Hey, thanks again I appreciate
1: you spending some time with the Mike broomhead show as always um, uh, we're going to talk about my interview with Bill Gates the chairman of the County Board of Supervisors of Maricopa County and his defense of certifying the election yesterday and I do want to point out that early on in this process I invited Carrie Lake to come on the show I have not heard back from her campaign and I understand that they're very busy but I want to be very clear that all Although I don't believe that the election was stolen, I acknowledge there were big problems on election day. I don't believe in a stolen election, and I don't think that it was anything intentional or nefarious. I want to be always have a voice for the other side. I've said before, I am friends with Carrie Lake. I've been friends with her for a few years. We've uh, gotten together, had lunch, we've talked, and I still consider her a friend, and I hope that that continues. But at the same time, I want to make sure that we're putting information out there from both sides, and I want you to hear a little bit of this. Bill Gates, I asked him to come on. He's the chairman of the Board of Supervisors, I asked him to come on the show and explain to us what the canvas is and what this vote means.
0: That is a statutory responsibility that the Board of Supervisors has. At the end of the election, when everything's done, everything has been tabulated, uh, it then comes to us to hold a meeting where we examine that canvas, ask any questions that we have of our elections folks, and, of course, for people to have their opportunity to come in and speak.
1: And so, again, they had a hearing about four. I think it was a four hour hearing. It was got contentious. Um, There were a lot of accusations thrown around. I want to throw some things out there because I will say to you, even though I don't believe the election was stolen, I believe that the people that are the face of the deniers of election, I believe the face of the movement, that the media pays attention to what you hear the most are not the people that are genuinely concerned. It is the fringe. And let me explain why. Um, one of the speakers that got up there, I was told – I didn't hear this. I, I saw part of what the hearing, but I didn't see it all um, – brought up the idea of uh, Clint Hickman as most – I don't know if any of you know who Mr. Hickman is. Clint Hickman is a member of the Hickman family. Makes sense, doesn't it? Hickman – Farms, And they have been farming in this community for generations. And they are some of the most benevolent, kindest people that I've ever met. And I've only met part of the family. But he is also a very conservative Republican. They had a horrible fire. At their farm that killed a number, a big number of their laying hens and destroyed one of their barns and put a huge dent in their profitability and their ability to do their jobs. The conspiracy theory came out that Mr. Hickman, now he's got an entire family, brothers, sisters, parents, he's got an entire family that runs this farm. It's not just him. And so his family had to be in on this too. He fed ballots. Stolen ballots to his chickens, and then after feeding ballots to his chickens, he set the barn on fire and killed all the chickens. Now, I know you're probably thinking, well, why not just burn the ballots? Why would you have to kill the chickens too? Great question. But that was brought up at the hearing yesterday. These are the things that I'm talking about the obvious things that are not possible, that are distractions. People want to be upset about what happened on Election Day. I don't blame you. I'm a citizen of Maricopa County. I don't want this in the media. I don't – when I say media, I'm not talking about the media here in Arizona. I don't want to get calls from my friends and my cousins all over the country saying, what in the world's going on in Arizona? But there's a big difference between a conspiracy and intentionality and mistakes that were made. So you get all the evidence in, and this is another, I think, significant point that needs to be made about the group of people that went there. Two things. Number one, many of them were from out of state. But number two is at the point in the hearing where the county was going to answer the questions that had been raised, they were going to lay out their case and give their evidence as to why they believed that the election was safe, secure, and accurate, everybody got up and walked out. So they didn't want to have a discussion. I, I just, I don't get it. So he talked about the need for all the information before they certified.
0: We wanted to make, you know, to hold that, that canvas hearing. We wanted to make sure we had all the information in front of us. And I'm very grateful for all the people who came yesterday to speak, several poll workers who shared their experiences. Uh, but in the end, like you said, uh, it was safe, accurate, and secure.
1: So I asked him then about the issues on Election Day and the problems that happened. And they said they were going to do a deep dive, his words, deep dive into all of this. I asked him how long does he believe that that's going to take for the people of Maricopa County, the voters in Arizona, to get answers?
0: I would anticipate a month or two we're going to bring in outside experts. We've already been taking a look at this uh, with our internal folks, but we want to bring an outside expert in so that we have those answers in plenty of time to make those changes that need to be made in the future so that this doesn't happen again. We are committed as a board to that. That is our responsibility to the voters of Maricopa County. You know,
1: when he defended his colleagues and uh, it was one of the most animated that th- points that he was in this hearing when he talked about. He said, say what you want about me, but the people I serve with. And he did it again here on the show today. And this is the part of this conversation where we need to relax a little bit because there are people whose minds will never be changed. And I respect that. I respect people that disagree with me. I don't have to agree with you in order to respect you. But I do lose respect when people start conducting themselves in ways that don't help their cause. Forget what you say about me or think about me in a conversation. When you get insulting, when you get irrational, when you say dumb things, you are no longer uh, uh, supporting a cause. You are now lashing out. And that's a lot of what happened at this hearing. One of the other things that we continue to hear from people without thinking it through is that um, Katie Hobbs should have recused herself. Now, Katie Hobbs is the governor-elect, but Katie Hobbs is also the, the current secretary of state who oversees elections in Arizona. So she should recuse herself. It's a conflict of interest. I'm going to read some names to you. Betsy Bayless, um, uh, September 5th of 1997 to January 6th of 2003. Uh, Jan Brewer, January 6th of 2003 to January 21st of 2009. Ken Bennett um, from 2009 in January to 2015. And Michelle Reagan. From January 5th of 2015 to January 7th of 2019, what do they all have in common? They are all secretaries of state in the state of Arizona, all of them Republicans. All of them were in office when they ran the elections and they were candidates for an office. So all of a sudden now, when this happens, the secretary of state should recuse herself But there's been so many and the list goes on and on with both parties. Now, all of a sudden, it's a conflict of interest. This is where people get distracted. Should we be focused on Maricopa County and making sure that there are never printer issues again? Absolutely. No one should be delayed. Certainly no one should be denied the right to vote. That's absolutely true. And we should do everything we can to make sure elections are run as seamlessly as possible. But the accusation that all of those supervisors and the county recorder and anybody else that would have been involved in this has to be in on the conspiracy to steal the election again i'm just in all fairness i said this earlier today if you look at the overall landscape republicans performed fairly well in other areas they held on to the legislature in both the house and the senate by the same majority they had going in They had picked up a couple of correct congressional seats. Now, if Cochise County doesn't certify its election, Juan Siscomani is not necessarily going to win that race. But right now he won the race. The number one vote getter of all of the votes that were cast in a statewide race was Kimberly Yee, the Republican treasurer in the state of Arizona. So she outperformed every other statewide candidate, including Mark Kelly and Katie Hobbs. And the other best-performing Republican was Tom Horn, who was a Republican that won an office – I'm sorry, um, the superintendent of public instruction, and that's an office that is normally held by a Democrat. But what does he have in common with Kimberly Yee? They didn't talk about election integrity. I have no idea where their opinions are on election integrity. I have no idea what their opinions are, and probably neither do you, on a stolen election because they talked about the job they wanted to do. They talked about the changes they wanted to make or, in in the case of the treasurer, the continued path that she wants to go down. And that's something that needs to be looked at. In a moment – uh, the White House says it's keeping a very close eye on Twitter. Why that should worry everyone. We'll talk about it in just a moment.
0: strong values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, KTAR News, 92.3 FM, and the KTAR News
1: app. Hey, thanks for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. I want to remind everyone once again that on December 10th, it's a Saturday. We are going to be out at the Wildlife World Zoo Aquarium and Safari Park out at the 303 in Northern. We've partnered with them in what we are calling Red and Blue Day at the Zoo. It's just an appreciation day for our firefighters and fire families along with police officers. The first 1,000 police and fire first responders families, present your identification, your credentials that you are in law enforcement or you're in the fire department, and you and your guests are going to get in for free. You'll get into the zoo for free. All the rides are free. If you want details, just go to the contest page at KTAR.com. The White House um, made a statement that a lot of people, and this should concern everyone, I, I believe, um, regardless of what you think, social media to me, and maybe it's an age thing, younger people rely on social media in different ways than older people do. I don't get my news from Twitter. I don't get my news from Facebook. That's not the source I use, but I'm also aware of the fact that platforms like Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Snapchat are sources of news for many young people. So, um, Elon Musk takes over Twitter and people lose their minds that all of a sudden there's going to be misinformation on Twitter as if this was a place where everybody was nice and peaceful and honest before. And it's not the case. So the White House press secretary, Karine Jean-Pierre, faced new criticism Monday for saying that the Biden administration is keeping a close eye on Elon Musk and newly acquired Twitter over concerns about the spread of misinformation, let me explain why that 's dangerous i don 't think it 's necessary to explain but i 'll give you my perspective anyway um, i 'm going to do it in reverse what if what if uh, the trump administration um, were to have come out and say, listen, uh, we don't like the way social media is behaving. Now, it turns out that Facebook has admitted that they listened to the FBI and their, their warnings about Russian influence and Russian misinformation by pushing down the story of Hunter Biden and the laptop. They've admitted that that was the wrong thing to do, that they should not have believed any of that. So with that being said, um, that was misinformation. There is absolutely no doubt that that was misinformation. But should the federal government have stepped in, what if the Trump administration said, you know what, we are keeping a very close eye on Twitter and other social media platforms. People lost their minds over it. The First Amendment is as important as it's ever been. I would say that there needs to be honesty and integrity in the press. I believe that more and more as I work with people in this building um, and I watch how the press works. I watch how how people that are involved and are true journalists make sure that they dot their I's and cross their T's. Um, there's a difference though on social media, it's buyer beware. You want to find something that you believe, if you do want to find something that, that makes your argument, you absolutely are going to find it on social media or on the internet. You are going to find it instantly. You can go defend your position. You can find things that refute your position, but we gravitate to hearing what we want to hear. So you went online and they, they want to get rid of hate speech. Did you see the vile things that were said about people that didn't believe in vaccines? What about the people that didn't believe in wearing masks? They were told that they should die, that they should lose their children, that they should lose their jobs. And so is that not hate speech? I would say it absolutely is. Without a doubt, it's hate speech. But. That's not hate because they. some people believe it's true, and if it's true to you, it's not hateful to someone else. My point here is we have the freedom to express ourselves in this country, and the controversial speech especially is protected. I don't say a whole lot that would ever be deemed controversial in the sense that somebody wants to silence me and thinks that I'm dangerous. You disagree, think I'm completely wrong, all of those things, part of a conspiracy, in on it, whatever. I'm just regurgitating talking points, but you're not going to see a First Amendment case, at least I hope you're not, in the things that I say. But whether it's art, and we've seen some really graphic art that has been so controversial people wanted it shut down, but it was protected by the First Amendment. The defacing or the burning of the American flag, which I personally think is absolutely reprehensible, but people are allowed to do it. The First Amendment protects that right to express yourself. And now you're telling me that the White House, in the interest of honesty, is going to keep an eye on on Twitter's platform. That, to me, is outrageous, absolutely ludicrous and outrageous. So I just hope that people keep their mind open and say, you know, listen, shut it off. Don't don't let your kids on it. Don't pay attention to what they say. Coming up in a moment, uh, a big soccer match between Iran and the people of the United States. But it's become overtly political threats by the Iranian government. But against who? That's where the surprise comes. We'll discuss it next.
0: news and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show. KTAR News 92.3 FM and the KTAR News app. Hey,
1: thanks again. Appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, I am. I know this is going to surprise many people, but I'm not a, uh, I'm not a big fan of uh, football. And What I mean by that is soccer. I, I don't know a whole lot about it, but I watch World Cup like many people do. I want to see the U.S. perform well. They've got a must-win game today. Win and they go to the next round. Um, and so it's a big game anyway, but they're playing the nation of Iraq. Iran. And uh, the Iranian team um, got very upset because somebody with the American team and not the players, not the coach, somebody with the men's national team and the you know the, the upper echelon managers or whatever you want to call them sent out a tweet with a picture of the Iranian flag without the uh, religious symbol on it. And they took offense to this and they said, we are standing in solidarity with women's rights in Iran. And, and so it was a political statement. Which is why i don 't watch a lot of sports is because I watch sports as an escape from the politics, so i didn 't you know again i I, I respect people 's rights to express themselves, but I also want to know what are your goals because if your goal is to get me to understand and have a conversation with you, if you alienate me i 'm not going to do that, and so I look at these political statements and and in general, it makes me crazy but this is this is where Iran shows you who they are. Iran allegedly threatened World Cup players' families ahead of the U.S. match. So you think, oh my gosh, they threatened our players? No, 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 no. The government of Iran threatened their own players, threatened its national soccer team and the players' families. Um, Iran has been facing persistent domestic protests for over two months since a 22-year-old reportedly died in police custody after being arrested for improperly wearing her hijab. So conditions in our country are not right and our people are not happy. The Iranian team captains Ted, um, he said that the victim's family should know that we are with them, we support them, and we sympathize with them. Uh, the Iranian soccer team has supporters that had supported the protest before the game against England. The soccer team stood silently for their home country's national anthem, declining to sing along. So even within that country, some of the players are kind of fighting back against their government. We see it happen with our country as well. But you're now seeing threats from the government against a soccer team, a soccer team. So we have had a long-standing feud with this nation, and I, I want to be clear. Um, the all-or-nothing crowd when it comes to people of faith, there is a huge difference between the American form of government and what's in Iran right now. Go back to the 1970s when the Shah of Iran was deposed. The Shah of Iran and the American people had a – A very good relationship. So much so that there was a deal made where we were going to sell billions of dollars in weaponry to the nation, to their nation. And they gave us a bunch of money. Well, then in came the Ayatollahs and the religious leaders, and they deposed the Shah and they made it a theocracy. The supreme leaders in the nation of Iran are the Ayatollahs and the religious leaders. They run it as a theocracy. We are not a theocracy. What we are as a nation that is, that is theistic, we acknowledge a creator. We acknowledge, we always have in our founding documents, we make room for everyone. We make room for the Catholics. We make room for the Mormons. We make room for the evangelicals. We make room for the Muslims and the Sikhs and the Hare Krishnas and, people and, the, uh, and the people that are agnostic or the, the people that believe in nothing at all, the atheists. That's what our government does. But we do acknowledge as a government a creator. It's in all of our founding documents. and God, we trust on our money. So we're different in that way. It gets lumped together because the people in America that are of faith uh, are telling people what they believe is the right thing to do, which, again, is the First Amendment. It is the right to speak. It's the right to assemble, and it's also the right to practice your religion any way that you want to. And instead of us celebrating that, it becomes a point of a fight because I started seeing the same thing. Well, there's no difference between the theocracy or the – they don't use that word – the Iranian government and the American government with Roe v. Wade. And and that is so far-fetched and absolutely ludicrous. And if people truly celebrated what we have, which is everybody has a right to speak – Everyone has a right to believe I have a right to worship any way I want, any time I want, and people can't stop me. And the founding fathers and the groups of people that came here originally made sure that the First Amendment was written first because they understand what true religious oppression has been like these Ayatollahs are doing. In this country, the people are pushing back and saying this girl wasn't wearing her religious garb the right way and now she's dead. That's a far cry from anything you see in America. That doesn't mean we don't have zealots. That doesn't mean that we don't have people like the Westboro Baptist Church, which in my opinion completely twist the same book. I taught adult Bible study at a Baptist church for 10 years, 10 years. I was raised Catholic, so you know my theology is all over the place. Raised Catholic, taught at a Baptist church. But it was a Baptist church. So the Westboro Baptist Church and the Baptist church that I taught at were so completely and diametrically opposed, it's not like we even read the same book. Their interpretation of the book that I learned from and taught from and read and and really relied on because of my faith. And they, as far as I was concerned, are twisting it. Well, you don't think that happens in other religions. It absolutely does. You don't think it happens in different faiths. It absolutely does. There are zealots everywhere. The great thing about our country is it's protected for you to worship any way that you want to. So I looked at the soccer thing and I thought, first of all, this explains everything we need to know about this country, that they are threatening their soccer team. And over a ridiculous statement. So uh, I just wanted to bring it up because here we are on the world stage. We are watching what's happening and uh, we're looking at this and saying here we are playing with the greatest teams in the world. This is a worldwide sporting event. This should be a source for all of us to look at this and be thrilled at what's going on. And instead, here we are in another political debate with Iran as if it isn't – we aren't already adversarial enough with this nation. It, it's just so out of touch for me. Um, the Supreme Court is hearing arguments on, the, on a deportation memo. Secretary of Homeland Security Mayorkas and his memo that was tamping down deportations by ICE. We're going to talk about the fallout and what the court is hearing and what this really means, especially since we're in a border state. So we're going to get to that coming up in a few moments.
0: Values and strong opinions. The Mike Broomhead Show, K T A R News ninety two three FM, and the K T A R News app. Thanks
1: for being here. Appreciate you spending some time with the show. Supreme Court hearing here is going to hear arguments in the case challenging uh, Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas discouraging ICE in enforcing immigration laws. The Supreme Court is going to hear arguments in this lawsuit brought by Republican attorneys. Um, uh, these attorneys general, Ken Paxson of Texas and Jeff Landry of Louisiana, and uh, they are saying the lawsuit claims that Homeland Security Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas acted unlawfully when he issued a memo that limited the authority of U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement to deport illegal immigrants. So, as we talk about policy, and it's my favorite word to use, is policy. This is where the political differences come. It's not personal. It isn't personal. I don't know many of these uh, many of the people that I I talk about personally, but I can disagree with their policies. I don't know of anybody that thinks that their success at the southern border of the United States, even the Open Borders crowd, has got to say what's happening at the southern border is despicable. The conditions are horrible. The treatment is horrible. The weight is horrible. So even if you're an open borders person, you can't be – you can't say what's happening there is successful. If you look at real refugees, what I mean by that is people with legitimate asylum claim into the United States, they're waiting in long lines that they shouldn't have to wait in because people are coming here that are using false claims in order to stay, knowing that they can circumvent U.S. laws and stay here for an extended period of time. It is an absolutely horrible system. It's damaging to America and the border towns that are here and places where people are being sent. You look at the Cities. If nothing else, you may disagree with the busing of illegal immigrants all over the country, but what it showed was that cities across the country that claimed to be sanctuary cities were not prepared for an influx of people into this country that were in the country illegally because a couple of busloads showed up on their doorstep, and they lost their minds. So it's one thing to be um, – to have this notion in, um, in theory it's different to have it in practice because the practical need of caring for people when you look at what strain in Arizona is under, and I you know i think I think um philanthropy. Kindness, benevolence, giving is something we all should do. If you've listened to the show, I, I bring on a lot of different groups that we can donate to, that we should be donating our money, our talent, and our time to, especially now with the severity of need that there is around Arizona. So I'm certainly not saying, suggesting that we don't do that. We absolutely should. But when you look at where our um, – our resources are being tapped in some cases, it is un- it's unnecessary. The federal government could do a lot of different things to stem the tide of people that are coming here. One of the stories is about um, a, a farm worker uh, having some kind of a, a, a redo or a reset of the farm workers, agriculture workers, and their visa program. I've been an advocate for this for a long time, uh, not just for farm workers but in other areas of life. See, it's one thing to say we're going to give issues for high qualified, highly qualified people that work in the chip industry and these other industries. Bring your college degree high-paying jobs and come here. But I will tell you that the greatest stories of success I've seen from immigrants to America were working-class people. These were people that work in the trades. These are people that work in the hotels. They are people that are landscapers. They are people that work in restaurants. But they are also people that work in the trades and what we need here in housing in Arizona. And the needs are dramatic. I've, I will continue to give you this statistic, and I encourage you to check me on this. Before the housing crisis and the market crash of 2008, in the couple of years preceding that, we were building over 65,000 homes per year in Arizona. We're about half of that now, and it's a little under half. And it certainly isn't because of demand, It's because of labor force. Well, you look at everybody that's stuck at the border. You look at the vast majority of people that even I agree are good people that just want a better life for their families. The answer from this administration has been the vice president. She didn't do this, but she was supposed to go and visit the countries in Central America and the nation of Mexico and go down there and we were going to give billions of dollars to the governments of these countries to ease their financial pain so that they didn't feel the need to come north to America. Well, I will say to you two things. First of all, that didn't happen. And second of all, the reason why people come to America is to live the American dream, which is self-sufficiency. It isn't about I'm just going to come here and then I'm going to go back home when my country's in better shape. I'm sure there are a few people that do that, but that's not the vast majority, The stories of success I heard are from people from Cuba and Venezuela and Russia and other places where individual success is rare if it ever happens, and they come here and they work hard and they build a life, and they're able to in one generation – Buy a home, put a family member through college or go to college themselves, watch their children grow and become citizens, and then watch their children have children who are first-generation Americans. We should be fostering that. We should be bringing the working class into this country from other countries, the hardworking people that will not only clean our homes but build our homes. You know That's what we should be doing. And instead, we've got this mess at the border and neither side wants to give an inch. It's, again... It's not right and left; it's right and wrong. We didn't even get into the despicable human trafficking, sexual slavery that goes on when people cross that border. It is a disgusting, despicable mess. And if Secretary Mayorkas is discouraging the deportation of people in the country illegally, he should be ashamed of himself. He should reverse the apology or he should leave. Uh, reverse the policy, or he should leave the office. One or the other. One or the other. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, uh, my interview with Bill Gates, you're going to hear more of what the, uh, the um, chairman of the Board of Supervisors in Maricopa County had to say about the election results and the certification yesterday. We also are going to talk about our economic discussion with Kristen Benson. Of course, we're going to do Did You Hear This? It's all happening in the final hour of the show. Stick around.